I'm Jim Brown, your Bible teacher here at Grace and Truth Ministries. I'm teaching on a series concerning the Sabbath. The Sabbath is spiritual now. It has to do with resting from sin. Or should I say this? Resting from sin, which is self, which is the flesh. Or it's the works of the flesh. The works of the flesh. Sabbath means to rest. It's to rest. And the New Testament is the very image. And the Old Testament is the shadow. The shadow. Shadow is the word skia. In the Greek, shadow, skia, means a shade. The shade is never the real thing. The shade is just a shape. It's easier for us to study the shape or the shade than it is the very image. When you study the very image of a man, you have to study not just the outward appearance, outward, but you got to study the inside of a man. And physically, that would apply also. You have to study the circulatory system, circulatory, which would be the blood and the heart and all the arteries. And then you'd have to study the respiratory system, which is your breath. And you'd have to study the bone structure, bone structure. And you'd have to study the skin, which is the largest organ, organ in the body. You'd have to study the skin or the flesh. The literal flesh, the sarks. And what we're trying to do is understand what the Sabbath is now. And that is giving up, that is giving up sin, self, and the works of the flesh. Works is what you stop doing on the Sabbath. The word is kataposis in the New Testament. That's the works of the Sabbath. What do you do on the Sabbath? You do nothing. You give up your works. It means to pause. Pause. And kata, when you see that on the front of a word, it means down. Or it can mean intensity. So it means to pause down or to settle down. To settle down. And that's when you give up your sin. Now, I'm going to get back into something I talked about reading the words. Let's get back over here to Hebrews. You cannot just study everything I do is in series. You get into the Sabbath, it takes you all through the Old Testament and through the New because it's giving up these works of the flesh. You've got 
Well, let me give you this first. Let's get back to Hebrews, the third chapter, Hebrews 3. And the Bible says here in the third chapter, it's talking all through the third chapter about the kataposis, kataposis. That is what you do, or actually what you don't do on the Sabbath. And the Bible calls kataposis unbelief. And when you're involved in your sin, you're involved in not believing God. But believe is the opposite of that. Believe is the same word as faith. It's merely the verb form of the noun faith. Faith is the noun. And faith is the word P-I-S-T-I-S. Believe is the verb form P-I-S-T-E-U-O. Word endings are changed depending on some form of the word, what part of speech it is, or so forth. Or what, uh, whether it's masculine, feminine, neuter, gender, or whether it's a noun or a pronoun or a participle. And what I'm going what I do is try to give you the part of speech something is. Well, <clears throat> faith is the noun, believe is the verb. Being a verb, that's what you do. You do truth. You take the cover off. And when you take the cover off, that's the works of God. He said so time and time again. And then he says in this third chapter of the third chapter, he tells I'm in the wrong book. The third chapter of Hebrews, he'll tell you about unbelief will keep you from entering into the rest of God in verse 11. Then he talks about in, in verse 19, so then that they could not enter into rest because of unbelief. And that's a reference to the children of Israel when they provoke God. And what you're doing, you're provoking God as a believer when you don't enter into rest. And it uses the Old Testament, the 13th and 14th chapters of, of uh, Numbers to explain to us what the true rest of God is. This is where Israel left Egypt, comes across the Red Sea. Here's Egypt over here. This is the Mediterranean Sea. This is Israel up here. And on the southwest corner of Israel is the land of what we call the Gaza Strip. In Christ's time, in, in Old Testament history, it was called the land of the Philistines. Before that, it was called the land of Anak, and that's where the Anakims lived. They were giants, huge men. In all probability, they were ancestors of Goliath of Gath. Gath is just above uh, right here, this Ashkelon and Gaza is right up here on the border of, of Israel and and the land of the Philistines. They gave Israel a headache constantly. Well, Israel is coming down, goes down to Mount Sinai. This is the Sinai Peninsula. It looks like a tongue going down into this 
Gulf of Aqaba and and kind of meeting the uh, the Sea of the Red Sea turns into the Gulf of Suez. The Suez Canal w- was a building of a canal between the Red Sea and Mediterranean. This is one of the most important canals in the world. It was help. It helped to supply. They could move through this, and when Egypt over here would try to control the Suez Canal, or when it was opened by Egypt at one time, controlled it, they would let people go through. When Egypt was in control, if they didn't have the Suez Canal, anybody who was getting supplies would have to go over here through the through the uh, Gibraltar Strait. It, it worked like so. And you had this was this was Africa, and they if they couldn't get down through the Suez Canal, in order to get supplies, and this is the this is the uh, this is the tongue of Sinai Sinai. And let's just say some people from over here in India or some people from Iran, if there was a blockade of any other ships in here, you had, uh, it came down and the tip of Spain was right here and they'd have to come down here and go all the way down and go around the Cape of Good Hope down here. If they were any of these nations in this area in here, that's how they'd have to go to get supplies in. So that was... That has been, even in the 20th century, one of the most uh, prominent areas to be able to gain control of any place in the Middle East was the Suez Canal. And whoever was in control in it was usually controlling wars in that area. So the Suez, tremendously important. <clears throat> so they're coming down here. When they get up here, to Kadesh Barnea after Noah gets all the law at Sinai. They get up here to Kadesh Barnea right there. That's where they wouldn't go in and conquer the land because they said the giants were too great. And that's the reason God made them wander through the wilderness for 40 years. And he said, i got to kill off everyone from 20 years old and upward. That was draft age. That's what I call it. In Israel, you had to be 20 to be in the army of of any of the armies of Israel. He had to be 20. So, where was I? Let's go back here into the third chapter, or the fourth chapter of Genesis. This is this has to do with giving up self. It talks about the Sabbath. All, it talks about what you don't do on the Sabbath, the katapasis. In fact, katapasis comes from kata, meaning down. Kata, meaning down. And pause. Pause is when you stop. You cease. In fact, every time you find the word cease, it's usually the word pausis, or one of these words that's connected to pause. It's the word cease. In fact... I don't know if I need to go there yet. I got so many things to say. 
uh, means to pause. Hold on here. Let me let me stop for a second. Let me give you something to kind of give you an understanding of what the Sabbath means. It means to rest. We're talking about resting from the flesh. The flesh is hard work, isn't it? You're trying to get it ahead in life. You're trying to buy that new house and buy that car. You're trying to get that woman. You don't know whether to mess with her before you're married or you don't know whether you should marry or not, but you still want to mess with her. And you try to, in trying to control the flesh is nearly impossible. You say, I'll work three jobs to get that car and get that house and I don't care if it kills me. I've been there. I was going to, I worked 90 hours a week in real estate. Day and night, trying to get rich. I was really good at it until God put me in the hospital, nearly killed me. Ha! Huh. Now He says here, let me give you one good illustration before I get further into this. Go over here to Matthew, the eleventh chapter. Here's an illustration of the spiritual pause of God. Matthew, the 12th chapter. This is the has to do with the very word rest. Matthew 12, or 11. Matthew 11. And verse 28. A verse you're all familiar with. Come unto me, all ye that labor, you work the works of the flesh and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anaposis. A-N-A. P-A-U-S-I-S. Ana means up. Rest up. You'll be able to rest up. I will give you rest when you're laboring in the flesh, labor is the word kapiao, K-A-P-I-A-O. You're fatigued with the sin of the flesh. K-A-P-A-I-O. You're fatigued. Now, it doesn't talk, it's not talking about you're sick with a disease. It means you're fatigued because you're out there working, laboring for the flesh. And then he says, You that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Well, when the Bible says yoke, nobody has any earthly idea what that means. It, it, the yoke of a kingdom was the laws of a kingdom. It's better to walk in God's laws what if I said the fruit of the Spirit? Because that's where you give up the works of the flesh, fruit of the Spirit. And law in the Greek is the word nomos. Nomos means legal food for animals, legally prescribed food. The Bible prescribes the food of God for his animals, his flock, his sheep. Sheep. 
when you don't partake of the law, you partake of anomia. A-N-O-M-I-A. Anomia would equate with the works of the flesh. That would, because it comes to the word nomos, and the alpha privative negates the word, gives an opposite meaning. It means no law. That is the word iniquity. This all boils back to the definition of the word. Anomos, the alpha privative, negating the word nomos, and it is the word anomia. So anomia, you've got in the fifth chapter of Galatians, you've got the works of the flesh as opposing the fruit of the Spirit. And since it's the works of the flesh that you have to give up, and it names all that sin, and you have to give it up for the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit would be the spiritual Sabbath. That's what When you give up sin, the more sin you give up, and you can't give it up, I keep giving the illustration when I was in the hospital in my mid-40s. I had been trying to get rich all my life. and tried to, I was trying to straddle the fence, live for God and live for myself at the same time. I wanted the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit at the same time. I wanted to have the best Christian group and pop music in the world. That's like saying I want to be up and down at the same time. You can't be that. You got to give up the works of the flesh, and then you go into the spiritual Sabbath, resting, and you get to a place where you don't care about what you work hard. You do the best job you can do, but you know the results belongs to God. Whatever He wants, and it don't matter if you make thirty thousand a year, or twenty thousand a year, or a hundred thousand a year. Say, well, it's all of God. You come to that place. You work, do the best job you can, be as responsible as you can. And all of the end result is God's. You cannot work saying the the end justifies the means. If the means is crooked, it don't matter if you end up rich. That's wrong if you think. You can live the way you want to and cheat and connive. And if you end up with lots of money so you can help people, the means does not justify the end. You can't live that way, and most people do at some time in their life. Now, so he says, Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest. You shall find, you shall find rest in your souls. You will find Anaposis. You'll be rested. You'll rest up. And we can start resting here on the earth. Now, let's go back over here to Hebrews. i got to tie this in together with all these works of the flesh. I believe that our problem in the world is the flesh, and that's all. I do not believe that Satan is something in the air floating around looking for some evil to do. I believe Satan 
The word Satan in the Greek is the word Satanas. Let me erase this. Satanas. In the Hebrew, it is Satan. And this is our problem. In the Hebrew, the Hebrew, the word Satan is the word Satan. It's one of the few words that's spelled exactly like the English words. But the majority of the time in the Old Testament, when you find the word adversary, It is the word Satan. David was called, it means an adversary to either good or evil. In fact, David was called the Satan of the Philistines. Let's look at that in Second Samuel. If you ever want to know where this is, this is at the very end of, of Saul's life. The very end of Saul's life. Let me get over there. Hold on. Second Samuel. I believe it's in the 24th chapter. Not 24. What am I thinking of? Can't be 24. That's the end of the book. I'm thinking of something else. Okay. We get over here into the... 23rd chapter, 22nd chapter, excuse me. Well, I'm still in the wrong chapter. 2 Samuel. Alright. And the next day, Saul is going to go into battle. And David has been running around with the Philistines. He got to be pals with some of the Philistines because... He was going into, he had made friends and buddies with the Philistines because when Saul started chasing him, trying to kill him, thinking thinking David was trying to take over his kingdom, then David ends up going to the Philistines in southwestern Israel are going to the land of what the ancients called Anak, or it was the Philistines then, and that's what we call the Gaza Strip. When he goes there, this is the night before Saul is going to die. So you're over there in, well, I forget my chapter. You're over there right before Saul is going to so David goes to the king of the Philistines and tells him, I want to take up the rear, and this king loves David. And he has made friends with the Philistines through this king, and the king was Achish. And he goes to Achish. Achish loves David. He goes to Achish and he says to Achish, you're going to go up here to Gilboa tomorrow. And they're over here in the land of the Philistines. 
I don't know which city they were in. And Achish had Achish had uh, Achish had become so close to David, he had given David a city called Ziklag. In the it was associated with the land of the Philistines, and said, "David, I'm give you that city, and you can go to that." Well, he comes to Achish and said, "I'd like to go with you against King Saul." Now, some say Gilboa, that Mount Gilboa was somewhere close to the the Dead Sea. Dead Sea. And he tells, David tells Achish, I want to accompany you and I want to bring up the rear. Now, David has always lied to Achish. In fact, he'd go out during the day and attack some Philistine encampment. He'd come back that evening and Achish would come down to Ziklag and say, what have you been doing today, David? And he'd say, I've been out attacking Israel and Saul's armies. And he would be lying to him. (laughs) David was not against Saul. He was always for Saul. Whenever Saul would be entrapped by David's army, David's nephew, uh, Abishai, who rode everywhere with David, he was hard-nosed guy, mean as a snake. And David's commander-in-chief, that was Abishai. And then Abishai had an older brother, Joab. And Joab was David's commander. And he was mean as the devil, just like his brother. Their sister was Zeruiah. You can find that in First Chronicles in that second chapter when it's giving the lineage of David. And his sister was Zeruiah, and she had these two sons, Joab and Abishai. And that gave David such a hard time. It was Joab that took the message from, from Uriah the Hittite to put him in the heat of battle so he'd be killed. It was Joab that had killed Amasa when David tried to David tried to replace Joab with Amasa. Amasa, Joab was sinister, just evil as the devil himself. And Joab was mean as a snake. Abishai was always saying, Uncle David, I'll kill that dead dog Saul. David said, shut up, Abishai. He was always saying, Oh, these sons of Zerah are too hard for me. These nephews, I can't handle them. They're loud mouths, they're big mouths, they always want to kill somebody out of But David, you're the one that hired Joab to kill Uriah so you could have Uriah's wife Bathsheba. <laughs> Boy, you get yourself in trouble. Boy, there's the flesh right there. So Joab was always killing some, but he killed Absalom, a righteous commanding general for Saul. He was always murdering somebody. Abishai was always opening his mouth. 
David said, I can't handle these two guys. They're too hard. He used the words, they're too hard for me to deal with. He killed David's son too? Huh? And he killed David's son? And Joab killed Absalom also. And even after he killed Absalom, when they were coming back from the the ref, city of refuge, Mahanim, on the eastern side of Jordan, when they were coming back, Abishai and David was weeping for Absalom. He loved Absalom. And Absalom was trying to take the kingdom from David. And he was trying to kill his own father. And David's crying and weeping, saying, Absalom, my son, my son. And Joab, his nephew, his commander, come in and said, What are you weeping for him for? Don't you know he's trying to take the kingdom? And just jumped on David like he's a stepchild. That's why David said, I don't know what to do with these guys. More to Joab's story. But the whole point is, when when David said, I want to go and bring up the rear he was always saving Saul's life when Abishai wanted to kill him. Abishai was a pistol. You read that 23rd chapter of Second Samuel, and David's naming his super powerful men in his army, and that's why God, he was trying to take credit for all of his victories. And God said, you didn't bring about your victory so with a million eight million five hundred thousand men. He talks about Abishai killed three thousand men in battle. Boy, he was a bad dude. You didn't you attacked Abishai, you're looking to die. He was really good in battle and fighting. So I told you that story to let you know there's no way David was going to take up the rear while the Philistines would be in the middle, David's whole point was, the, and I'm trying to explain Satan to you in the Old Testament. I'm actually trying to explain adversary. And so David goes to Achish. says, let me bring up the rear when you go attack Saul. What David was wanting to do was to was to sandwich in the Philistines. So now Saul was still against David, but David wasn't against Saul. He said he's the Lord's anointed. So he's wanting to go in against against Saul, taking up the rear that way. Philistines would be sandwiched in, and Achish was all for it because he loved David. David was deceitful to him. But he had to be deceitful to bring about these things in the Word of God. And Achish went to the Philistine army and said, I want to bring David with us. They said, No, you can't bring him with us. Hey, don't you remember? He is your enemy. He is is our adversary. And they used the word... Satan. David is our Satan. Nearly every time you find the word adversary in the Old Testament, it's the word Satan. And I believe that what is the enemy of God 
is the flesh. I really believe that this outer man is Satan or it's the adversary of God. I've had people ask me, well, where is Satan? Where, is he out here wandering around in the air? No. There's no spirit hovering around out here going, I wonder whose body I can go into and cause him to do evil. The evil is in our flesh. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things. Things is neuter gender. Every time the Bible refers to demon or demonion in the New Testament, demonion, it is our word demon. And every time you find it, it's neuter gender when the Bible refers to demon or demonion. When the man referred to it and said legion, the man that the so-called demoniac when the man referred he used feminine gender but Jesus said no it's just you the same thing he said when you have in Mark the first chapter Mark the first chapter in Mark the first chapter you find a man with an unclean spirit Jesus comes into his temple there's a man with an unclean spirit. The word unclean is the word A-K-A-T-H-A-R-O-S. Akatharos. I've had some people complain that I use the negative particle too much. You ignoramus, that's, what it's, that's how it's written in the Bible. Negative particle. The negative particle is the alpha privative. It's the first letter of the Greek alphabet. Alpha privative. P-R-I-V-A-T-I-V-E. It is the A. It's that right there. Whenever you're reading something and it says, from the neg part, or from one, the neg part, one in your Greek concordance, everything is numbered, and one is the A, the alpha. From one as a negative particle. Anytime you see that, that's what it's talking about. So it negates the word. It comes from katharos. This man with the unclean spirit, katharos means, we get a word cauterized from that, which means to purify. To cleanse. When you cauterize a womb, you cleanse the womb. They have to do that when they're operating. And the alpha privity means no clean spirit. Spirit is the word P-N-E-U-M-A. means breath. This physical man does not have clean Breath. Now, I'm not talking about halitosis. I'm talking about when you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen. When you, when you breathe out, you expel carbon dioxide, but you don't get all of it out of your lungs.
They're little sacks. I think they're called villi in your lungs, and you never expel all of it. So we actually have unclean breath that keeps this flesh alive. Keeps the flesh alive. But you have to look into a medical book. It's what you, well, I got that. And so when you get over into Luke 4, this is Luke's account of the same man when Jesus goes into the temple and finds a man with an unclean spirit. So this is what the Bible says over in over in Luke 4. Jesus went into the temple and found a man with an unclean daemonion, devil. It says devil, but when you look it up, it's word daemonion. And daemonion comes from the root dio. It means to distribute fortunes. To distribute fortunes. So, so that the same man that has an unclean demon is the same thing as an unclean spirit. Here's the whole point. Jesus rebukes the man in Mark, the first chapter. And the man says, what have we to do with thee? When they spoke of demons or unclean spirits in the first century, they always used feminine gender. They said they were females. Feminine gender, plural. And Jesus, and he said, we, what have we, all of us? And the Bible says in that first chapter of Mark, Jesus rebuked, rebuked him. He stipulated, the word is A, U, T, O. The omega on the end of auto, you've got several ways to spell auto. You have A, U, T, Ada. Anytime the Ada is on the end of a word, it's feminine gender. When the omega is on the end of a word, it is masculine gender. And auto, anytime you you translate him, in the Greek they'll either translate it with our word from our word A U T O, which is self mobile. That's an automobile, self mobile. Or an autobiography. An autobiography is one written by the man himself, or it's got his approval on it. When it's not an autobiography, it's not approved by the man himself. And alte is feminine. That's the same word, alte. Husbands love your wives, Ephesians 5.25. 5.25, 
Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. The church is not an it. It doesn't even say it in the original text. Why the translators put it there, I don't Other than Roman Catholicism had the wielding their power in the translating room. Half the translators were Roman Catholic and half of them were Protestants. I've said this so many times. The King James Bible is not the inspired word of God. The text is Sisyphus. The Greek text is. You have to go back to the Greek. It says Alte, which is her. Jesus died for his wife, the church, and get, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. That's what it says. I don't care how many translators say it was it. You don't call your wife an it. So I don't call and say, is Mary home? I don't say, it's in the yard. I mean, she'd come in there and hit me in the head with a frying pan if I said that. What do you mean, it? He died for her. This word auto, when Jesus rebuked him, he rebuked self. Now, a lot of times, the translators would take thee and translate him or her. Because... You have synonyms in the New Testament. Synonym means words that are of the same. You could actually use the. Here's all the definite articles, the. There are no indefinite articles in the Greek. An and is not in the Greek. You have to go by the context to find out what it means. So sometimes he will be translated whole. There's the alpha privative, so it's ho. It will be translated ho, which is masculine gender, masculine, singular. It's masculine, singular, masculine, singular, ho. Sometimes she will be translated hey, or taste, or tay, or tay. Taste, tay. Or tain. The, 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 the. Sometimes, depending on where it is in the sentence, they'll translate her this way, or they'll translate he, ho, to, to, con. That's how hard it is to translate Greek into English. But you got to look, go look at these. I don't think I have auto on there. No, don't. But this is agathos. This is pos. I need to put auto on here. This is this is mezion. The word greater. The uh, this is all ju- righteousness. Righteous. Dikaios. Dikaios today is righteous. This is all justify. Masculine, feminine, neuter, gender. So they will translate. Here's the whole point. When Jesus rebuked him, he rebuked masculine, gender, singular. He rebuked the man, and the man kept saying, We. What have we to do? And he said, No, it's just you. It's just self. That would be our word self, and it depends on if it's masculine, feminine, neuter, gender in the Greek. And it all is a form of the word self. You have to deny self. 
He didn't say, if any man come after me, let him deny his demons, did he? No. He said, let him deny himself. The word himself is e. This is Luke 9.23. 9.23. Here is the word, let him deny himself. This is the word himself. E A U T E A U. E is called, it's a part of speech. It's an augment. It's like saying the word I. It's like saying the word I deny. Deny is the word. Aparneomai. A-P-A-R-N-E-O-M-A-I comes from apo which means the removal of arneomai completely. Arneomai means to contradict. You have to contradict self. That's our problem. It's self. So this means I. It means deny I self. Deny I self. This augment. But it's still a form of A U T O. You have to deny self. It's. I don't think people understand the biggest problem in the world is our flesh. That's why I believe that the outer man that's in a man is the biggest enemy in the world. And you want to know where Satan is? I believe it's in the flesh of men. I've never heard a preacher even get close to that. Satan means an adversary. Let me show you something else on adversary. And you've got adversary all over the Bible. Where it's Satan. It's an enemy of God. In David's case, it was an enemy of the Philistines. And they said, he is our Satan. I keep saying you've got... You've got all of these synonyms. I know most of you may not remember. Some of you more intelligent will remember synonym. A synonym means a word that is, it has the same basic meaning. An antonym I guess that's the way you spell antonym. Antonym means a word that's opposite meaning. And every time I think of opposite, I think of anti. Anti means against or in opposition to or in place of. When the Bible says, He that denieth Christ or Naomi, You'll either deny Christ or you'll deny self. Arneomai means contradict. He that denieth Christ is Antichrist. It doesn't mean you're the Antichrist. 
The word Antichrist is only mentioned in First and Second John. It's not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. You're Antichrist. You're in opposition. You've placed yourself. Anti is the word anti in the Greek. Christ. If you contradict the word of God and say, I don't believe in predestination, and you're dead set against it, you're Antichrist. You may not understand it. Say, I don't understand it. I know it's there. That's fine. Don't say, I don't believe that. That's against, that's against God. No, you're against God when you say that. Anti means in opposition to or in place of or instead of. It means to oppose Christ. We're talking about the flesh opposes Christ. How about the works of the flesh? Works of the flesh oppose Christ. Or what your flesh does, you put yourself in place of Christ. That's what anti means. Oppose Christ or in place of Christ. You say, I don't think God means, I don't think he meant something else. You just don't believe God. That's all there is to it. And you're not even supposed to if God had dealt in your heart and put it in your heart. Now let's look over here in Romans. Now we're talking about this inner and the outer man. When you go into Romans, the... the 7th chapter I need to get on with this because I can't get back to where I was Romans the 7th chapter coming out of the 7th chapter I may go through the 7th chapter again in the next few weeks I think this is one of the most important chapters in the Bible about self because it's talking about God versus self Now he says here in Romans the 7th chapter he's talking about the things that I he said I am carnal. He said in verse 14 we know that the law is spiritual. That's the inner man and the outer man. But I I am carnal. The word I in the Greek is the word E-G-O. It's the word ego or self. It's just self. It's the flesh, the outer man. There's an inner man, an outer man. The outer man is self and serves the law of the flesh. Paul says this in this chapter says that the last couple of verses. The inner man serves the law of God. This outer man has to be conquered. Law of God. And I'm still talking about the adversary of God is Satan. It's in our flesh. Now, all through here he's talking about the things that I would do, I do not. And what I hate, that's what I do. And he says, but it is no more I that do it, uh, no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He said, there's sin in this 
man that I am. You've got an inner man that's Christ in you. I said this earlier, earlier. First John 1 and 8. First John 3 and 9. That ex- this explains, First John 1 and 8 and 3 and 9 explains Romans 7. John says, if we say we have no sin, have is present tense. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us, but the truth is in us, and we know that we have sin. And then he says in 1 John 3 and 9, Whosoever is born of God, that's the inner man that's born by the will of God. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. For the seed of Christ remaineth in him, and the you might as well say it this way, he cannot sin, or the inner man cannot sin. So you got two men. One sins and the other doesn't. That's why he says, the things that I would do, it's not I that do it, but sin that dwells in me. The things that I do, that verse there, the word do is katrogazomai. Well, that's good to understand. The things that I fully accomplish, the things that I would do, I don't do, but it's sin that dwelleth in me. It's sin. Katogadzomai comes from kata and are gone. It means to work. Work down in me. Ergon comes from E-R-G-O-N. It's a form of that and kata. It means to fully accomplish. When the Bible says in Philippians 2.13, It is God that worketh in you. That word worketh is katogadzomai. It's God that works in us. Huh? What? I can't hear you. I may may have misspelled something. That's okay. God worketh in you to will and to do of His good pleasure. That word worketh is the word E-N-E-R-G-E. O N. In Ergon comes from the word E N E R G O N I Z O M A I comes from in and Ergon. Well it has basically the same meaning, Catrogazomai, to work down or work upon. And Paul said, I don't know how to do the right work, but if I do anything, it's God working in me to the will and do of his good pleasure. Now, let's go on down to the bottom of this because it moves into the next chapter. I don't know why men think they can read verses out of a chapter and they have to change the subject when they go into the next chapter. Chapters were not inspired Chapter and verse were not inspired in the original text. Chapter and verse.
you don't have chapter 7 and verse and verse 25 going into 8 and 1. Chapter 7, and you don't have chapter 8 and 1. Chapter is not in the text. 7 is not in the chapter. Chapter is not in the text. And 8 is not in the text. And 1 is not in the text. They had scrolls. They just rolled them out. The subject continues, and it has to continue because it's still talking about that inner and outer man. And all through here, Paul is saying, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. In my flesh. Doesn't anything dwell good. That's the outer man. Right there. For the will. Wanting to do what I want to do is present with me. But how to perform, Katrogadzomai, that which is good. I don't know how. Because he's talking about present tense verbs here. How to perform present tense. I don't know how. Unless God does that in me. For the good that I would, I do not. Most of these words do. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would, that's what I do. That word do there, it differs. Most of the words do are poeo. But that word do is the word praso. We get our word practice from that. That's what this outer man practices. He does things he's not supposed to be doing. And then he says, I find a law that is that when I would do Poeo, P-O-I-E-O, when I would do good, evil is present with me. How's the evil present? It's the outer man. I delight in the law of God after the inward man. That's what wants the law, the nomos, the legal food, the fruit of the Spirit. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members right now. It's this outer man fighting the inner man. Boy, I know all about that. Do y'all know about that? Boy, that's tough, isn't it? Herb, I mean, trying to get over self is the hardest thing in the world. You can't get over self. God's got to beat you in the head with a ball bat or a shillelagh and make you get down on your face and say, Oh, God, I'm wrong. Boy, he did that to me in my mid-40s. He put me in the hospital. I looked out at old Shackle and Island Road, and I said, Lord, I got IVs in both arms. You're going to kill me, and I'm about to die. Lord, I give up. You've got to come to a place. I say, I surrender. I'm going to... And that's when I'm, God helped me make the decision. I'm going to live for you the rest of my life. Oh, I still struggle with sin. You don't give it up all of a sudden. It just doesn't go away. You'll have a thin veneer of it as long as you live. You've got a bit more than thin veneer when you're young. And the fire comes and I always put concentric circles. And they burn out self, pride, just sin, 
self in every fashion you can think of it. Arrogance. You say, I've never been arrogant. Well, sure you have. If you've been arrogant to God, you're his enemy. you got Satan in you. Then a wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this outer man, this body, this death? Who's going to deliver me from the flesh? Then he says those great words in verse 24. O wretched man that I, present tense, am. He actually said, O wretched man, it is me. That's what it says in the original text. It's this outer man. He says that in the next verse. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind noose, my thinking, my intellect, noose, what I really know, noose. You remember the word metanoia? Noia comes from the word noose. It means the thinking or the mind. What is it you think of? Well, he tells you right here. So I thank the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, he says, oh, Richard, I thank God through the Jesus Christ our Lord. So then with the mind, my thinking, I myself serve the law of God. This inner man, which is Christ in you that can't sin, serves the law of God. But with the flesh, oh me, that's the outer man. I keep serving the works of sin, works of the flesh, I keep serving the works of the flesh, the law of sin. And here's what he serves over in Galatians. We've been talking about it. He says, here is what the outer man serves until God beats you. What do you mean beats you? Well, he said in Hebrews, the 12th chapter, that he scourges every son he receives. Scourge was a bloody beating. He'll beat you with an inch of your life until you learn to give up self. Like he did me. Man, I was so involved in me. That was my only problem. Repent means to be turned and think differently. But you can't turn yourself. You say, I haven't come to that yet, Jim. If you're a believer, you will. I can guarantee you that. Let me erase some of this. And put this on the board. When you go over, this works of the flesh, the outer man, is expressed. And I don't know how long it's going to take me to get through this because i got all these other chapters to go through. I'm still in chapter 1 of Romans that I hadn't finished from last week. Isn't it amazing how... Look here in Galatians. In Galatians, the fifth chapter, 
Verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he goes into the works of the flesh, adultery. It's not talking about literal adultery necessarily. It's talking about spiritual adultery. And spiritual adultery is going after the world and the things of the world. That's what James, the fourth chapter, says. Then it says... The works of the flesh are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness. That's the same word, the man with an unclean spirit. Unclean, a catharos, an unclean breath. We do everything to sustain this flesh with this unclean breath that we breathe in and out, don't we? Everything for the flesh. And he goes into... Fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry. I went through these words last week. And then he goes into the fruit of the Spirit, which is resting in the spiritual Sabbath. Now let's go back over here to Romans 8. And we get to verse 1 in Romans 8. Therefore, you can't start a sentence with therefore. That's the, not the beginning of the thought. Because verse 25 says, I serve the flesh with this outer man and I serve the law of God with the inner man. Therefore, he says, let's continue this thought. When you get to Romans 8 and 29, it's about getting rid of the outer man. By conforming us whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to conform us to the image to the likeness of Christ and have that inner man alive and well in us and having the outer man die. That's what Romans 8 and 29 is about. It's not just about we're Calvinists and we believe in predestination. For whom he did for no, he also did predestinate. Period. See there? <laughs> There's more to it than that. It's a reference back to this inner and the outer man. And then he says, therefore, therefore, now no condemnation, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. That's the inner man. It's a referring back to chapter 7. Who walks not after the flesh, verse 25 of chapter 7, which is the outer man, but after the spirit, verse 27, it's the inner man. And then he says, for the law of the, law of the spirit of life. When you think of the spirit of life, think of those two men in the previous chapter because this is not the beginning of a chapter. This is not the beginning of any thought. Therefore means let's connect everything we're going to say in this chapter to everything in the previous chapter. That's called a conjunction. It's a coordinating conjunction. That's what therefore is. Then he says, for the law of the spirit of the life and Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin, which is the outer man. And the outer man and death. Verse 3. For what law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin, for the outer man. That's what he's going to get rid of. Anytime you see flesh in here, it's talking about the outer man. For sin condemns sin in the flesh, condemn the outer man. Then he says, here's why. 
that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us in the inner man. Who walk not after the flesh, the outer man, but after the spirit. It's still talking about chapter 7. For they that are after the flesh, the outer man, is that reference back to the previous chapter? Not what it is. They that walk after, let me put it this way, they that walk after the outer man do mind the things of the flesh, the outer man. But they that are after the spirit, which is truth, which is the inner man, you can't interpret Romans 8.29 without looking at this. After the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, let's read verse 6. You notice I stopped there. We've got to look at verse 6 real careful. For to be carnally minded like the outer man is death. There's going to be death to the outer man, not the inner man. And over years, the outer man is going to die slowly. He dies hard. Unless you already have obtained perfection, you have no sin in you. In the outer man, the Nazarenes say they do not sin anymore. They are made perfect when they accepted Christ. Knew a Nazarene down here in Madison. She said, when I make the mistake, well, she meant sin. <laughs> but verse 7 really nails it. Because the carnal mind... Well, he, the last sentence of verse 6, to be spiritually minded like the inner man is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. That's a great word, enmity. Ekthra. Hostile. The outer man is God's enemy. The outer man is God's adversary. Oh, by the way, that's the same word as Satan. Satanas. That in the Old Testament, it's the same word as Satan. Satan in the New, or Satanas in the New, it's Satan, Satan in the Old. And the definition of ekthros, E-C-H-T-H-R-O-S, which is a form of ekthra, means an, an adversary. An adversary, an opponent. The flesh is an opponent. It's an adversary of God. And God's in a fight with our flesh. And guess who's going to win with the believer? Him. And he says, The carnal mind is enmity. The sarks, or sarkikos mind, and the word flesh is S-A-R-X, Carnal is a form, the fleshly, it means the fleshly mind. Sarks is the word flesh. 
and the works of the flesh, the sarks are these. In Galatians 5.19. So he says, The carnal mind is enmity, it's an enemy of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, the inner man, neither can be. So that they that are in the flesh, the outer man, cannot please God. You can't please God being in the in the outer man. Then he says, You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. What is his reference to? Verse twenty five of the previous chapter. He didn't he simply gave us who the inner man and the outer man was, and John tells us that the outer man cannot say I don't have any sin and the inner man can't sin so when people say you're made perfect in Christ well perfect means to be mature and grow up be therefore perfect teleos mature grow up when Jesus told the the, the disciples oh ye of little faith holy gospistus Puny faith. Puny. Your faith has to grow. Add to your faith there in Second Peter 1 and 5. Name seven things. You're not, verse 9, you're not of the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you, that's the inner man in the previous chapter, isn't it? How are you going to interpret this chapter especially Romans 8 and 29, without knowing it's talking about the inner and the outer man from the previous chapter. If any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. You don't get the Holy Ghost after you're saved. Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit are the same word, Hagios Numa. Numa means breath. And Haggai means pure. Oh, that's exact opposition to unclean breath, isn't it? This is what brings us alive. Haggai comes from Haggaiazo, H-A-G-I-A-Z-O, which is the word sanctify. And God sanctifies us simply by putting us through trial and fire so he can get rid of this outer man by the time you get old. Even if you die young just because that outer man God hasn't fully conquered it, you, you, the inner man is going to be saved. He's working on all of us to will and to do of his good pleasure. And then he says, I didn't mean to get in Romans 8, but because of that carnal, i got to show you something right now. I'll come back to this in a minute. Go over here to James. I keep saying you've got synonyms in the Greek. How much time to have, Mike? Seventeen. I'm not going to get through this, so I'm going to use this right here. James 4. If you don't go to the Greek words, you're not going to be able to understand a lot of this. Because you've got to know what the synonyms are. Something that means the same. Now look here, we've said this before. 
I've quoted this over and over and over. I want you to remember before I read this what we said in Romans 8 and in 8, 7 and 8 and 9 the carnal mind, the fleshly mind which is the outer man is enmity against God and then verse 9 ye are not in the flesh in the outer man but in the spirit, the inner man if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he's none of his. When Pentecostals say that baptism of the Holy Spirit is a work of, it's the second work of grace, it is not. Baptism means to be covered with a stain or die, and that's death to self. And that's God who has stained us with his blood. And over years of time, he's going to cause that blood baptism to kill off self. You don't get rid of self all of a sudden. Anybody says, well, you've been made perfect to the day you're saved. No, you haven't. Your inner man has been made perfect, but not your outer man. He says, if Christ be in you, then the body is dead because of sin. Now, I want to tie that in. The carnal man is enmity against God talking about the outer man in in the flesh. <clears throat> I'm not going to go through all this because I won't have time. I'll come back and go through the previous verses. But look at verse 4. Verse 4 of chapter 4 of James. Verse 4. Remember the first thing on the list, the works of the flesh, was adultery. That's the works of the flesh, adultery. He says, you adulterers. He's not talking about literal adultery. He's talking about spiritual adultery. In the Old Testament, it was said that Israel went after by her lovers. Going after idol gods was called spiritual adultery. And he tells you what that is here. And adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God. Enmity is the word ekthra. It is a form of the word ekthros, A-C-H-T-H-R-O-S, means an adversary. has the same meaning as Satanas in the Old Testament when David was called the adversary of the Philistines. He was called the Satan, Satanas. You remember when Jesus said to Peter, I have to go to Jerusalem and I have to be crucified and I resurrected the third day and Peter said not so Lord be it far from thee you're not going to go through that and Jesus said get thee behind me Satanas Satan adversary you're being an adversary to me telling me I'm not going to have to go through that when you friendship with the world comes from the word philia or phileo 
friendship, philia or philos, are forms of the word phileo, philos. If you're affectionate to the world in their ways, you are God's Satan. You're an enemy of God. You're an adversary of God. Oh, God. Boy, this convicts my heart. When I go after my skin, my flesh, and I want to fulfill what it wants, I'm God's enemy. I'm his Satan. Boy, that's hard to get a hold of, isn't it? Where did that out? Well, let me finish reading this. Whosoever therefore will be the friend of the world is God's enemy. His ekthros. Enemy is the word ekthros all through the New Testament. You're at enmity. When you get along with the world, you are God's enemy. Ekthros and satanos are, they are synonyms. Your God's people want to where is Satan? He's in your flesh. How did that happen? Do I have any time, Mike? I can't go through all this. I can tell you where, and I'll come back through it later. It all started in Genesis, the first chapter. Genesis, the first chapter, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. There was no evil in the world at that point. There was no enemy of God at that point. In the beginning, God created. Create is a righteous word. Without form and void and darkness are all unrighteous words. Without form, this boils down to definition. Create. This is where this outer man comes from. Create is the word bara. It's a righteous word. It means to cut, make fat. It doesn't mean the cellulite on the side of your body as you grow older. doesn't mean that. The fat was the best of the cattle, the fattest of cattle. The fattest of the field was the wonderful, beautiful crops that were growing. It was the best wheat and the best grain. Fat was a word that they used in the Hebrew to note the best. So it meant to cut and make fat. And it is a form or a derivative of the word B-E-R-I-Y-T-H. That is the word covenant. These words are morphemes. They're words that are shaped from one another. So create being a righteous word. And the Bible says, the next verse, verse 2. Verse 2. The earth was without form. Void. 
darkness. I used to wonder where this thing began. This Some people would call this the gap theory. I don't call it a gap. It's more of a theory that there were six days of creation. That would be a theory. Because there wasn't six days of creation. You're not even to the first day yet with form. It, without form is the word tohu. T-O-H-U-W. It means worthless. God did not create worthless. That's not what the word means. When you go to Isaiah 45 and 18. Let's go over there real quick. Create is not the same word as made. Made belongs to the six days. It will either be anal or yatsar. And both of those words means to mold or to fix in a fashion. To fashion something on one of those wheels they would put clay on and pump and it would go in a circle and they'd dip their hands in water. That means to fashion, but that wouldn't create. Create, the Jews said, come from the word ex nihilio. It means to breathe out of nothing. These words means to mold after you breathe it out of nothing. In Isaiah 45, verse 18, here's what God said. He speaks of this time that He created. And this has to do with why you've got an outer man. Because God didn't destroy the very condition or the disposition of the clay. He says here in Isaiah 45, verse 18, and everything has to fit into this 45. I'll flip past it. 45, 18. For thus saith the Lord that created the heavens, God Himself that formed Yatsar, create is bara. God himself that formed the earth and made it, he created it not in vain. What he created in the first verse, he says, was not tohu. In vain is the word tohu. And you're not even to the first day yet. There were six days. Six days of making and forming and bringing back into some kind of orderly arrangement. They call this chaos. They call this chaos. The earth was in chaos. And there was no, everything was void and darkness was upon the face of the deep surface. And you're not even to the first day yet. And God says, let there be 
Let there be light where? Upon the surface where it's dark. This whole first chapter of Genesis is a picture of the elect. We are Satan is cast into the earth with a third of the angels of heaven in the twelfth chapter of Revelation. When he's cast into the earth, Satan corrupts everything in the entire universe. The Bible says the stars are not clean in his sight. The moon is not clean. And what is man that he should be clean? He's not. God picks up the dust of the ground and farms Yatsar, Adam, from the dust of the ground. He's formed of this corrupt dust. Then he looks at Adam, Adam, puts a tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden and says, Don't you touch that tree. And he didn't say, If you touch the tree. He says, The day you eat, you will die. He said, The day you eat, and you will eat. Why would God do that? He wanted sin so he could be angry at it. He's the one that created the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He's the one that set up a law in the garden and said, Thou shalt not. He's the one that made Adam out of the corrupt dust of the ground. And Adam has got in him, he's got the outer man in him. It's that flesh. That's where Satan is. It's in the flesh. Boy, that's a... That's a thing that God's got to work on us. I may say this over and over. I love some things in the first chapter of Genesis. That's where it comes from, this outer man. We're made of corrupt dust. That's where Satan is, the adversary of God. It's in us. And boy, if preachers would preach that, people would feel guilty and think, I've got to get rid of me, but I can't. You've got to get rid of self, but you can't. It takes the fire of God, the scourge of God. When he said, I scourge every son I receive, scourge is the word. He's scourging us to get rid of the outer man. Mastigao, M-A-S-T-I-G-O-O. And the mastix was a little short whip, was a little short whip with people with leather strips on it that had glass and bone tied in it and God says I will beat you with a scourge just like Jesus was beaten with a scourge literally and I'll get rid of that outer man it'll take me 20, 30, 40, 50 years Jim Brown on you to get rid of you self so when you find those works of the flesh the only way we come to resting in Christ Self has to die. You have to deny self and take your, your cross daily and follow me. Be in the same way with and You can't put yourself in that way. He's got to put you in the narrow way. Whew. This thing has been overwhelming to me. This study on the Sabbath. We enter into our rest. The Bible says in that verse, the one I use as a, a theme verse in this study, he says in Hebrews, the fourth chapter, he talks about the rest of the Sabbath all through third and fourth chapter. And he says in that, in that fourth chapter, <clears throat> verse 10, For he that is entered into God's rest, 
he talks about in the ninth chapter, there remaineth the rest to the people of God. That's the word sabbatismos, Sabbath. There remaineth the sabbatismos. Sabbatismos. And then he refers to that sabbatismos to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, into his caught up process, referring to the Sabbath, has ceased from his own ergon works. And the works of the flesh, the ergon of the flesh, is these. That's how you enter into the Sabbath. There's so much more on this. If I can connect it next week, I'll come back to Romans 8. The only reason for Romans 8 and 29 is the verses before it. It's God getting rid of the outer man over a lifetime. I don't want to do the things that I used to want to do as a believer. As a believer, I used to do a lot of bad things. Did you? If you say you didn't, you lied. <laughs> There's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man, and I'm a man. I don't know what's in all men's hearts because I've owned up to the fact of what is mine. Well, let's pray. Father, thank you for the truth. I'm overwhelmed by this study. Self has to go, has to die. Thank you for truth. Thank you for everything you do. Lord, fight our battles. We've got many enemies, Lord, that want to stop us. Stop them, Lord, before they get one foot ahead of another in an effort to destroy things in this ministry. I trust you, Lord. Fight every battle we have. Lead us to elect. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I could have gone all day with this. I love this subject. Huh? I just love this subject. I love getting rid of me. And I don't think any preachers really preach that. I know when I was trying to beat my alcoholism, I, I was hearing the not sin, and I, I was trying to get up every day and start my day without sinning. For three days, it was a <laughs> battle in my mind not to sin. I think it makes it it's harder when you're trying. But it, hey, I, I quit the alcohol, and I did it because I prayed enough, and I didn't sin as much. As well, I, you I did it because so you did it because God dealt with you. You didn't do it because of you. No, he let me pray enough, not eating and trying to, I mean, not drinking, the, the going and drinking the beer. It was just beer, it wasn't the whiskey and stuff. Hey, it was hard. Well, I know it's difficult. I hadn't been hooked up to that. Oh, yeah. you do you have a phone yet? No, but I, I've got one coming. They said it'll be tomorrow. They said Thursday, today their phone's come. Or I was going to go Are you out. getting any more letters from the... I didn't, I don't... Huh? I don't think they sent... Well, just remember what I told you last week that everybody you fight with, I hear most of them are vessels of wrath. Well, yeah. And God made them what they are, so don't get mad at them. Just say, just walk away and say, God made him that way. Yeah, I had a whole family with me yesterday. Four of them. Christ, that just God put it in them, be it, That's right. Just.
It's a struggle getting... Battling self is hard. We don't like to do that. It's... I really believe it. I have to, that has puzzled a lot of people and they'll call me and say, where is Satan? Well, I believe it's the flesh. I believe it's in the corruption of self. God never does say, get rid of Satan out of your life. And He always identifies demon as self. We don't know. We want to blame it on... We like to wallow on the floor and go, I got a demon in me. And they're putting on a show when they do that. Huh? Yeah. Well, that's... We always want to blame somebody besides our own sin and our own flesh. So we call it a demon or call it the devil. The Bible says when a man sins, he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And God put us in that lustful flesh. So, so if, you, if you're in active sin, which we do, and, and says that God won't answer your prayers if you're in... I mean, it's so confusing. Well, the only way he answers prayers is when you bow to his 